This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. So we're in Genesis chapter 2, and we're starting in verse 20. Genesis 2, 20. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Thank you, Lauren. So this is Pat, and uh, this painting that you see in this picture here uh, was hanging in Pat's home for as long as she could remember. It's a painting of her grandmother, and her grandparents had it, and they passed it down to Pat's parents, and then Pat's parents passed it down to her. So this has been in her life forever, and I had no idea uh, really what it was worth or anything like that, but just had this, this massive painting of her grandmother in her home. And she'd walk past it every day, uh, again, uh, growing up. Now, um, when the Antique Roadshow decided to come to town, she thought, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this painting in, I'm gonna just, you know, maybe it's worth something, maybe it's not, so she takes it in, and you probably got an idea of the rest of the story. She, it, it turns out it was actually a portrait by a famous artist named Robert Henri, and though she was once told that it was worth uh, about four grand, because that's what her grandfather paid for it, to have it painted, uh, the Antiques Roadshow in a 2016 update estimated this painting worth between $500,000 and $700,000. Now, I love my grandma, but I'm selling that painting. I'm just saying. Did you? <laughs> yeah, I took, yeah, I got plenty of pictures of grandma. We're all right. Uh, but no. Uh, sometimes it's easy to lose the value, at least the appreciation of the value of things that have become very common to us. I passed an important milestone several years back now um, with my wife, Courtney. Uh, I have now been uh, married to her more years than not in my life. <laughs> so uh, we've been married for 27 years. We got married when I was 21 years old. And so I have spent more years of my life as Courtney's husband than not. And it's very easy to live day in and day out and go through the you know, ups and downs of marriage and not appreciate the wonderful, wonderful thing that marriage is. So here we are now in Genesis chapter 2, and we're focusing in 
on God's creation, God's formation of marriage. In fact, we're gonna do it over two sermons. Today we're gonna talk about really just a exegetical verse-by-verse walk through this text, and we're gonna kind of talk about God's formation of marriage and what it means. And then next week we're gonna really zero in on those last two verses because uh, Moses does this little summary and then presses in the importance, so we're gonna talk about that. But here's what I'm after this morning, and write this down if you would. I will value God's gift of marriage. I will value God's gift of marriage. Now, I'll say on the offset, I fully understand that there are some in in our congregation uh, this week that are not married. I'm gonna talk about singleness in just a little bit, so please understand I hear that, and 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 we're gonna address that. Also, I understand uh, divorce has come into play, and there's just a lot of complexity to that as well. We're gonna talk about that, but I would be remiss if I didn't focus on the value of marriage and press us as a church into valuing as God does. And to get there, four actions. Here's action number one. First of all, let's agree with God's assessment of marriage. Let's agree with God's assessment of marriage. And I think we see this in a couple of ways, but here's what we see. God loves marriage. God values marriage. God thinks that marriage is important. How do we know that? Well, a couple of ways. So here we're in Genesis chapter two, and a few weeks ago when we were talking about the Imago Dei, the image of God, I mentioned to you that God creates all these things and they get a sentence or two. The stars barely even get a mention, but when it comes to the creation of man, we get this whole chapter where God kind of focuses back in on that sixth day and talks about the creation of man. Now, specifically, He focuses on the creation of man and woman, and they're uniting together in one flesh in marriage. So really, chapter two doesn't just focus on man, it focuses on marriage. And what we see here is God's first institution for a healthy, functioning society. By the way, there are three. Three institutions that God has given for a society to function healthy. And remember, God is the author of all of it. God has designed the world, and he has said, this is how the world should function. Uh, The world needs family. The world needs government. We're going to see that in Genesis as well. And the world needs the church. And we believe that all three of these are important institutions, but the very first one that God ordains and sets into order is family and marriage. God believes this is important. We see that in how the focus that God has here. And we've seen this true in our world. Even secular um, scientists and family uh, experts will have, have to admit the best and most healthy place for a child to grow up is with a father and a mother. God's plan, that's God's plan. And this is why we fight for God's definition of marriage. And take a look at verse 24, and I'm gonna give you then the definition that I would hold to it. Uh, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So we say it this way, one man to one woman for one life. That's God's definition of marriage. One man to one woman for one life. Ordained by God right from the beginning. So that's why it's important. Another reason why we would say that God values marriage or God sees marriage as important, not only God's focus on the marriage, but also God's evaluation of man, God's evaluation of man. And I want you to look back in verse number 18, if you will, please. So this is Genesis 2 and verse 18. 
uh, and check this out. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So do you know, this is only the second time in the Bible that God has actually attributed words that he spoke. He speaks in the beginning when he creates everything, but now here he speaks again. And what does he say? Well, he says, it is not good. So that's a massive change in the narrative because all along the way, God has been saying, it is good, it is good, it is good, right? Look back in Genesis 1, uh, verse number four, and God saw the light, that the light was? So the light was good. Take a look at verse number nine. He says it again. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters were gathered together. He called seas and God saw that it was good. And we can go on and on. It was good. It was good. It was very good, he says, when he creates man. But here he looks at man and he says, you know what? It is, it is not good. It is not good that man should be alone. MacArthur says this, the words of these verse emphasize, words of this verse emphasize man's need for a companion, a helper, and an equal. He was incomplete without someone to compliment him, fulfilling the task of filling, multiplying, and taking dominion of the earth. God made man for companionship. And God's primary solution for man's companionship was a wife. And after 27 years of being married, I can attest to you that it is very good to have a life companion. And, and I look back in my life and my marriage to Courtney and what I see are just incredible stories that we've been able to live together Fun stories, some of them, um, you know, weren't fun in the moment, but are fun to look back on, like, like just our, our, our wedding day. Our wedding day was awesome. Like, most of the day was just phenomenal. And, uh, uh, but, you know, getting there was hard. Have I told you the story that uh, I'm doing, a, um, you know, weeks before the marriage, I'm in the National Guard, I drive into our, you know, our, our yearly drill time. As I drive in, my car that I'm supposed to drive to Indiana is now smoking like crazy. And I'm like, how? Oh, no, I got to drive this thing to Indiana. So I take it into the mechanic, and the mechanic says, I wouldn't drive it across this street. Like, you're not going to drive this car to Indiana. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And a guy in the church provides me a car. And I'm like, oh, that's so awesome. So God provided for us. And I drive out to Indiana. We have our honeymoon, or we have our, our wedding. It's all great. We, you know, do the whole ready to drive around the town, right? So you get in the car and you drive off and you got all the cans and people are throwing stuff at you. You know how that all goes. And we get in the car and click, 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 click. And the car won't start. We're like, oh, man, and she starts crying, of course, and at that point, there's all these old men that are gathering for some senior event, and they're like, that car's never going to start. That car's never going to go, and she is crying, but there's a doctor in this group who says, hey, I just last week, I bought a brand new a car. You guys just take that. We're going to be going on a trip anyway. You take it. So he gives me the keys to his car, and we drive. You know, I just like right from the beginning, just incredible stories, and I could share so many of them, good, fun stories, hard stories, the loss of our first child that we had to walk through. It was hard. Joyous stories like the birth of our children. Challenging stories like raising Landon. <laughs> Court and I were talking about it on the way in today, and you know, we love him to death, but where Grant was like 
you told me not to, so I'm not going to. Landon was like, you told me not to, but I wonder what would happen if I did. <laughs> and just, you know, all those stories and just heartaches together, joys together, planting a church together, counseling together now, so much that we've shared. And I've had her by my side supporting me at my worst, at my mediocre, because I don't have a best, at my mediocre <laughs> uh, all along the way. And uh, it, is God's, it is God's blessed, blessed design. I could make the hour, a sermon hours long, but listen, God knew it was not good for Jamie to be alone. <laughs> he needed a helper fit for him, so he gave me Courtney. Are you giving your marriage the importance that God would have you give it? Has it become so common to you that you fail to see the gift that God's given you? What stories have you been able to write together and to appreciate and to love together? Value your marriage. Give it the importance. Agree with God's assessment. It's important. Now, let me say this, because there is this thing about singleness. And some of you here may have that, and some of you may even say, I'd love to be married, but God hasn't opened that door for me. So what about singleness? Is it wrong to be single? Is it a sin to be single? And I would say, uh, no, it is not. And uh, we could do a whole other sermon as we focus on 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul says, I wish you were like me. In other words, he was single. He said, I wish you could live your life single too. And, uh, and then he said, you know, but, but if for those who, uh, you know, um, have a hard time with self-control, it's better to marry than to burn. And the reality is the majority of us belong in the better to marry than to burn uh, scenario. But it does uh, it emphasize the fact that singleness is a viable godly option for those who would choose to do that. And so we want to say that and commend that as well and, and help you understand that God has that as well. All right, so agree with God's assessment. Number two, I'd say this. Understand God's design. Understand God's design. So let's keep moving in the text. We look at verse number 18. It's not good that man should be alone. Then he says this at the end of verse 18. And I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast in the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. I don't know about you, but when I read this text, one of my first questions was, why the parade of animals? Why, why did God do it this way? Well, it wasn't so that God could check and see which one would be the right fit for man because God knew already none of them were gonna do it. And he said already, I'm gonna make a helper fit for him. It wasn't that God needed to know, but maybe, we don't know for sure because the Bible doesn't say, but maybe he needed to show Adam none of these things are going to work. I was going to show you this clip. How many of you have seen White Christmas? How many of you watch it every year because that's what the Lord would have you do? You know this? Do you remember, remember that scene in White Christmas? And I couldn't show the clip because of copyright law, and I didn't even know that, but you can't do that. So boo laws, right? No, don't do that. Um, <laughs> but uh, where he's, you know, she's pressing in, hey, don't you find me amusing and wonderful to be with and all that? And he says, remember the line? Yeah, but I feel the same way about my Cocker Spaniel. <laughs> 
But then when they kiss later, he says, you know, in many ways you are far superior to my Cocker Spaniel. And it's true, but that was, you know, nothing else was going to work. Only woman is the helper that man needs. And when you look at the text, it's a, it's a beautiful way of describing it. Because what it says there is, I will make a helper specifically crafted and made to fit what you need. That's what he's saying there. You have weaknesses, she's gonna have strengths and vice versa. And these things are gonna come together in a beautiful, beautiful way. Now, can I just say a couple of things here? I hope they're obvious to you. When man needed a helper perfectly fit for him, he didn't make another man. He made woman. And we see it. I see it in my life. I've needed Courtney in a lot of ways. Just throwing a couple of them out there. Woman helps man domestically. I can't imagine what my house would look like without, like, yes, I can. I can imagine what my house would look like without Courtney. And it is not a pretty thing. Uh, uh, Courtney uh, helps keep the home beautiful and clean <laughs> and sanitary. Um, women help men domestically. Women help uh, men emotionally. It's not that I'm unemotional, but I'm different emotional. And she has uh, an understanding of her emotions way more than I do of mine. And so we have talked and we have shared and she has helped me grow and understand things emotionally. It's called like EQ now, right? Or emotional intelligence, something like that. Uh, but that's out there. Of course, obviously, woman helps man sexually. Uh, prior to being married, I thought this was gonna be the best thing about marriage, and I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm saying there's a lot of other parts of marriage that are better, and I'm so thankful to have that. But very, very uh, obviously, we'll talk more about this next week, but this is God's plan for sexual unity, and it was in marriage, and done right, and done well is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Woman helps man parentally. I said already that even society and even secular experts have acknowledged the best place for a child to grow up is in a home where there's a man and a woman, a father and a mother. And I've needed Courtney to balance out my maleness at times in our, um, in our, in our parenting. And I'm so glad that my children have an example of what Godly manliness looks like, an example of what godly womanness looks like, and they all need to see that. So woman helps man parentally, lots of ways that we need one another, and it's a beautiful thing. So God, is, is it beautiful? look at the text again, look at verse number 18. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, another little caveat here, if I may. You may look at that word helper, and you may think, well, that kind of stinks. I don't want to be the helper. Well, like he's Batman and I'm Robin? I don't want to be Robin. I want to be Batman. I mean, come on. All right, well, you've got to understand that word helper. Do you know it is most often used of somebody in the Bible? It comes up several times of one specific person, and that is God himself. Check this out. This is Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I lift my eyes to the hills from where comes my, my help, my 
Help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And remember when Jesus was promising uh, a helper that would help man? It was the Holy Spirit he was referring to. So when we talk about a helper, it's not a lesser role. It's not a minor role. It's a beautiful role and a powerful role and one that God himself has claimed for himself. God is our helper. And God's design, God's plan was for a man to have a helper that would fit and help him in his life. And so a few questions that I would ask of you about that. Are you appreciating the design that God has built into your marriage? In what ways have you noticed and appreciated the differences between you and your spouse this week? In what ways are those differences have become more of a frustration? <laughs> what can you do this week to grow through and because of your differences. Value God's gift of marriage by agreeing with his assessment, by understanding his perfect design, and then also this, marvel at God's plan. So let's go back into the text here a little bit, back into verse number 21 now, if you will, please. This is Genesis chapter two. We're walking through it. We've been all the way through verse 20. Now let's get into 21 and see what God does. So God brings all these animals. None of them are gonna work, obviously. And then it's not God's plan for the man. He's gonna make a perfect helper for him. So how is he gonna do that? Verse number 21. So the Lord uh, God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. So again, you kind of ask the question, why did you do it that way, God? He could have said, let there be woman, and poof, there was woman, but God did it this way. Now, the Bible never comes out and exactly says it, but it's interesting to think about a few things. In fact, Matthew Henry said this, and this is, um, uh, I think, thoughtful, and it shows the uh, beauty of the design of marriage. He said this, not made out of his head to top him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near to his heart to be beloved. That's a, a beautiful picture of that. But I wanna make a couple of important kind of statements here for you regarding the way, the plan that God uh, gave to this. First of all, notice this. A powerful God, a powerful God gave Adam his wife. A powerful God. God did it in this way. He took it from one flesh. took a rib. Listen, in the very creation of woman, God gives, or man gives of himself. He sacrifices a part of himself to give his wife life. From the very beginning, God's design, husbands, listen now, was for men to give of themselves for the welfare and the benefit of their wife. Ephesians 5, 25 echoes that when it says this, husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Very important reminder to us men. Is that the posture for your marriage today? 
Is it more about what you give? Men are more about what you get. What are some ways, men, we can give of ourselves this week? And maybe start with the remote. And all God's women said. <laughs> you just gotta learn to like the right, you gotta learn to like Downton Abbey, okay? You gotta work hard at liking Downton Abbey. Or Hallmark movies, you know? You just gotta put off the fact that they all have one plot, every single one of them have the same exact storyline, and you just gotta enjoy it for what it is. Can I get a witness? Are you with me on this, guys? All right. But it is interesting to note that from one flesh, from his flesh, he gave to the woman. But also this, from one flesh to one flesh, back to one flesh again. Take a look at verse number 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And there's so much that's true about that in marriage. When Courtney is joyful, I can be joyful. When Courtney is sad, I'll be sad. And, and our emotions and our lives are so interwoven and, and, and molded together that we experience so much as one. And it's actually a very, very beautiful thing. But it also speaks to the permanence of marriage. In fact, Jesus is gonna refer to this very text when the Pharisees come and they're like, hey, is it okay to divorce a wife? I mean, that's in the law kind of, you know, what's up with that? And then Jesus said this in Matthew 19, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. And watch what he says, what God, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So this is Jesus now, many, many years, centuries after creation, coming back and saying, today, when you marry a spouse, it is putting one flesh back together, and what God has joined together, let no one separate. This is why we say one man with one woman for one life. It is God's design for marriage to be permanent. Now, I know that I'm saying that in a day and age and, and where many of you have not experienced that, and, and I always wanna walk very carefully when I talk about this because there's a lot of pain there's a lot of hurt, listen, there's a lot of guilt, there's a lot of shame, and I don't want to press into the guilt and the shame that you should not feel about things. So I wanna be sure to handle this right, because there are two exceptions, we believe, in God's word for divorce. That God allows it in two circumstances. One would be from this very text, Matthew 19, he talks about sexual immorality. And it, except for sexual immorality. So if one spouse has been sexually unfaithful to another, God has allowed for divorce in that case. And the other one comes up in 1 Corinthians chapter seven, uh, where if the unbeliever departs, Paul says, then let them depart, and you are not bound in such cases. So uh, you know, if you're married to an unbeliever, and the unbeliever says, you know what, I'm kind of done with this marriage, and he walks or she walks away from the marriage, you're not bound uh, in those circumstances. So I know very much that maybe some of you have experienced that, or it could be that you're in this room and you were divorced in your past, but you didn't have either of those two exceptions, so now what do you do? And I wanna say to you, listen, first of all, we're here to talk about the intricacies of all of that and to help you understand God's word there and the steps you should take, but I also just wanna say to you that 
go to God. And if you, I mean, look, all of us have sinned in our marriage. Can I get a witness? All of us have failed to some degree. And all of us need to go to a forgiving God and confess our sins. And when we do, what does God do? He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so my encouragement to you is to own what you need to own. Be honest about that with you and God and confess it. And maybe you've done this years ago. If you have, fantastic. But pray confess that. Live in God's grace and God's forgiveness. There might be confession that's needed to other people. I don't know. God will reveal that to you. Uh, I'm not saying if you're married and then now remarried that you need to divorce that spouse and go, I'm not, we're not talking about that at all, obviously. But what we're talking about is just owning in your own heart what God has for you. But listen, because the overall thing is our God is a God of grace. Everyone say that with me. Our God is a God of grace and he loves and he has grace for all of us. And when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So don't live in guilt, live in grace. Don't live in guilt, live in grace. All right. God creates woman. And then you have this in verse number 22. Look at this. This is really beautiful. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. I want you to think wedding ceremony. When, when Courtney and I got married, her father walked her down the aisle and presented her to me. In the very first marriage, it was God that walked Eve down the aisle, so to speak, and presented her to Adam as this beautiful gift that he's given to Adam, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. A powerful God gave Adam his wife, but also, I want you to know this, a sovereign God gave you your wife. A sovereign God gave you your wife. It's very interesting that Matthew 19 is talking about today. And Matthew 19 says that if God has put it together, let no man tear it asunder. And um, I have to say this because sometimes you may question whether or not you did the right thing when you got married or you married the right person. And I've had this in the counseling room a lot. Pastor, I've had a couple tell me, we married the wrong person. God never intended us to be married. And so here we are, and I shouldn't have married her, and she shouldn't have married me, and now here we are. And I'm like, okay, so where was God the day you got married? Like taking a day off? He was taking a nap, and all of a sudden he woke up and said, oh, hold on a second. They got married? <laughs> that was never my intention. No, a sovereign God was in control the day you got married. And a sovereign God gave you your wife. And look, how many of you would say that you're pretty much the opposite of your spouse? Yeah, boy, hands go up like very, for, uh, very uh, passionately. Uh, yes. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, listen, you, this is shocking you, but um, I'm an extrovert. I know, right? You would never have guessed it. I know. And I, I'm the guy who loves the spotlight and uh, all of that. Courtney is one of the most introverted people we know. In fact, we did a little you know, personality test, and she came out 99% extrovert, or introvert, and I came out 96% extrovert. And so, like, she's very introverted. I'm very extroverted. And, and, and it, there have been times where would be like, we're so different. Like, how do we ever, like, where do we ever agree on anything to be able to come together? You know, but, but I look back at my life, and I would say, no, those differences were the exact thing that I needed in my life to help grow me and help me understand and help me be more compassionate and tender and all of that. And I just want to say to you, God was, was in complete control the day that you got married. And all things work together for good to those who 
are called as love God, and so he's going to take care of all of that. How has God helped you grow because of the spouse that he gave you? How has my spouse helped me bring God more glory? How has my marriage revealed to me the ways in which I need to grow? And God has given you a spouse just for those very things. We're going to agree with God's assessment. Marriage is important. We're gonna understand God's design, a helper fit for him. Gonna marvel at God's plan. He gave us our spouses. He's in control of all those things. And lastly, we're going to rejoice for God's gift. Rejoice for God's gift. Adam responds, and it's funny to read it in the text, but you need to see a couple of things here. So take a look at verse now, number 23. So we're all the way down to verse number 23 where it says this. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Now you can read that like that and it doesn't sound very exciting, but notice a couple of things. Do you notice how in the ESV it's kind of indented a little bit? And that's because chances are this is kind of like a Hebrew poem or a Hebrew song. So instead of reading it like a boring, mundane response, it's more like the dude broke into music, kind of like a musical. You know what I mean? Which, by the way, is how I won my wife's heart. I was like, bless her beautiful hide. And that just won her heart over in a second. Uh, that was from Seven Brothers, Seven Brothers, if you didn't know. Okay, a few of you got it. But uh, uh, he's singing, this at last is bone of my bone. I mean, he's as excited and he's thankful and he's worshipful. This is a worship song. And he's rejoicing in this gift that God had given him. You notice the phrase, this at last? Maybe that's why he had to have all these animals come before him to be like, no, that's not gonna work, no. But now, now at last, this is it. God has given him a great and beautiful gift, and it was the gift of a wife, and he rejoices and he praises God for it. And that should be our response. One that we should put on as well. Thank you, God, for my spouse. Thank you for how she helps me. Thank you that she's beautiful to look at, and she's she smells good. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you for how she sacrifices for me and how I sacrifice to her. Thank you for how much she loves me in spite of who I am. Thank you, God, for this beautiful gift of my wife. How can you spend some time, even this week, thanking God for the spouse that God's given you? How can you spend time thanking your spouse your spouse this week, hey, thank you and sharing how grateful you are. How can you give marriage the importance that it deserves? And so I say this often when we get to this part of the sermon, we're at the end and how do I land the plane? How do we bring it all to conclusion? And um, I try to talk Adam into writing a I'm so thankful I'm married song, but it just didn't, you know, it just was too much too short amount of time. A week is too, too much. And uh, so, um, but I will say, um, I think the right way probably to end this is to pray together for, for a moment.
Now I know, again, if you're single, it's okay. Pray and just talk to God and let God be the thing that satisfies your soul and your heart and all of that. But if your spouse is here with you, then what I'd like you to do is just take your spouse by the hand and I want you just to take a moment and I want you just to pray together and just have a moment of thanking God. So husbands, you lead and you just thank God for her and I want you to tell God how thankful you are for your wife. And then wife, you can finish by saying, praising God and thanking him for the gift of your husband. I'm gonna give that a few minutes and then I'm gonna come close. Let's pray together. Father, in your wisdom that is immeasurable, you looked down at man and you said, it's not good that he should be alone. And in your love, in your kindness, you designed something very different from us. It's easy for us to bemoan and be frustrated at times about those differences, but it is wise for us to lean in on those differences, to humble ourselves, to grow from those things. You didn't have to do that. You didn't have to give that to us, but you did because you love us. And we need each other. And Father, we pray that we would give it the weight and the gratitude that it deserves. Lord, I know the enemy is attacking marriages. He's attacking them in our church right now. 
And Lord, I want to pray for your spirit to protect. Help men to be committed to be God's kind of a husband, as you've lined out in your word. Help the women to be God's kind of a wife that your word has revealed it should be. And as we look to you and lean on you and love you and find our ultimate fulfillment in your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, that will strengthen these marriages so that kids can be brought up in homes where they can see what godly manliness looks like and godly womanness looks like. And then, Father, we can be a testimony to the world as we show what it looks like for Christ to love his church. And we pray, Father, you would strengthen that and bring yourself glory in all those ways here at Redemption. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church. You are loved.